gentlemen, a very warm welcome to Daily Power Parsha, a.k.a. DPP. Today is Friday, December 31st. You know what that is. Last day of the 2021 calendar year. It's great. No better way to celebrate this Erev New Year's Eve. Actually, sorry, this, no, New Year's Eve is literally Erev. Whatever, this Erev New Year's, then spending time together in Torah study, and uh, connecting and hopefully being inspired. So it's uh, great to welcome everybody. Ray, welcome. Sarah, welcome. Donna, welcome. Bo, welcome. <laughs> we got to, we got to, hey, Bo. And of course, Joy, welcome. It is great to have you all here. It is just absolutely fabulous to study Torah with you. And let's go. I mean, we are... Let me go by memory here. We are, we did blood, frogs, lice, wild animals, and now we're up to pestilence, the death of the animals. I don't think we got into it. Maybe we got into it a little bit, or I spoke about speaking about it, but we're, we're going to get into it. We have, this week's Torah portion has seven plagues, so we still have a few more to, uh, to take care of. All right, today is for, yeah. We don't dip right in Passover, the finger. We dip the, the vegetable, but when we mention the plagues, we spill. The Chabad custom is spill, to spill yeah. out the wine. It's the same concept. It's just either you're dipping the right. finger and kind of spilling it that way or just using, you know, using the cup to spill it out, right. little drops. But, yeah, it's a Chabad custom. As to why the difference, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I'm sure it's discussed. I don't remember exactly. Well, God likes overflowing wine. This is true. This is, this, this is also true. Always over the top. Always over the top. Okay, here, oh, okay, so I know we're up to. We're up to, we're in the middle of the sixth reading, which is for today, Friday, and we're up to chapter nine of Exodus. So let me share my screen with you. Oh, so let's send Dreen in. Okay, and here we go. Or as they say, and away we go. Welcome, Sandrine to the party that is DPP. All right, Exodus chapter 9, verse number 1. The Lord said to Moses, plague number 5, Come to Pharaoh and speak to him. So said the Lord, God of the Hebrews, send out my people so that they may serve me. All right, this is the second or third time we see this phrase, Hebrews. So if you wonder what they were called before Sinai and whatever, they were not called Jews, Yehudim, that's not what the, what, what, these people were called, it was either B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, or the Ivrim, or the Hebrews. Those are the two names. Today we use the word Jew, which comes from the word Yehudi or Yehuda, which is one of the 12 tribes. This is the larger collective, of course, which is either children of Israel or people of Israel or the Hebrews. Just a point of clarification. But anyway, this is, this is plague five, which means it's there's, there's cycles of three plagues. So this is the second plague of the second cycle. And I, as I mentioned yesterday, and I hope, I hope it made sense, the first plague in the cycles of three, the first is, uh, it involves Moses and Pharaoh at the water in the morning and a full-on a full warning and an opportunity for a dialogue. The second one just comes with, uh, with like an FYI, this is going to happen. You still have a chance, but this is what's going to happen. The third plague in the set of all three sets, is just the plague happens without any mention of warning or whatever. All right, so this is the second one. Uh, this is the second, second set. So plague five, come to Pharaoh and tell him, send, send out my people so that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and you still hold on to them, what's going to happen? Behold, the hand of the Lord will be upon your livestock that is in the field upon the horses, upon the donkeys, upon the camels, upon the cattle, and upon the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Now, what is pestilence? Pestilence means it's a plague that kills the animals. So this is what's going to happen, says God to Moses to tell Pharaoh, is that if you don't let the Jewish people go, or the Hebrews go, a pestilence is going to hit all your animals. One more line, and the Lord, this is what Moses is supposed to tell Pharaoh, and the Lord will make a separation, a distinction, between the livestock of Israel 
and the livestock of Egypt, Israel, not the nation, of course, but the family of Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, the livestock of Israel, livestock of Egypt, and nothing of the children of Israel will die. Your animal, it's not like pestilence in Egypt. It's pestilence for the Egyptians as opposed to the Jews, to the Israelites. Okay. This is what God tells Moses to deliver as a message to Pharaoh. Plague number five. And you know what? Listen, it's a little uncomfortable maybe. It's like, why do these animals have to die? Doesn't seem fair. Right? Because the Egyptians are slave drivers and Pharaoh is, is, is stubborn, so the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep have to die. I don't have a good answer for that. This is one of the plagues. And, um, you know, maybe the commentaries discuss how, you know, the animals were also used for this. I don't know. But it, this, is, this is plague number five. All right, let's go verse five. The Lord set an appointed time saying, and he told Moses this, tomorrow God will do this thing in the land. God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that tomorrow God is going to do this. So you're getting a one-day warning of what's going to go down tomorrow, the plague of Dever, the plague of pestilence. Well, I mean, long story short, Pharaoh did not let the Jews go at that time. So God did this thing on the morrow. So it happened. And what happened? All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. And Pharaoh sent. That meant he sent a message. He sent his, sorry, he sent a messenger or sent spies to check out what's going on in Goshen in the Jewish quarter. Pharaoh sent them. Behold, not even one of the livestock of Israel died. Which was his way of confirming that this was a plague, not a we use the word biological. It's not a biological plague. It's a miracle plague. Are you with me on this? It's not like there's a disease that's now running rampant. It's only hitting the Egyptian livestock, not the Jewish livestock. So Pharaoh confirmed that this was a supernatural event targeting him and his people. And yet, but Pharaoh's heart became hardened and he did not let the people out. Okay, let's pause here before we get to the next, the next plague. And let's pull in some commentary on Rashi. Um, commentary of Rashi. Here we go, chapter 9. Let's see what we got here. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, actually, we have no Rashi other than grammatical stuff, but ra there's no Rashi here that adds to the um, understanding of the narrative. Um, I will say that over here, pursuant to what I explained yesterday, did you guys look at that link that I sent about the, um, the weighing of the heart ceremony? Did anybody have a chance? Wasn't that interesting? I found a site that's explaining it for kids just because the other site, like Wikipedia, I feel like it just wasn't as comprehensive. That site actually broke it down. What did they do with the heart? Um, what did they believe would happen if somebody had a heavy heart? Like what? They just broke it down. Very fascinating, just in general. But what's interesting here is that I explained, I explained to you yesterday my theory, my working theory that the Torah uses vayichazek, vayachazek, that his heart became strengthened or hardened when he's just being stubborn. And it uses the term heavy when he's being immoral, when he's lying, when he says, I'm going to let them go, and then he reneges. Then he has not a strong heart, not a stubborn heart, but vayachbed, vayichabed leiparo. It became heavy. Heavy meaning a bad person in ancient Egypt, heavy heart meant something. A bad person. The weighing of the heart, if it weighed more than a feather, then that person would not have their, their understanding of heaven. Okay, so here, the Torah for all trans... Rabbi, yeah. Rabbi, excuse me, just to talk about yeah that information. I mean, it seemed like it was saying that the Egyptians themselves felt like they had the power to determine the afterlife fate yes. of people. Well, they believed that at, in the afterlife, there would be these gods that were judging. I don't think anyone on the ground was going to do it. I think the belief was that you should live a good life because oh, when you pass yeah. away, there's going to be this judgment, and if it doesn't work out well, it's not going to be good. I think that's kind of the, 
the angle that they took. Not that there was actually a physical. That's what I got from from those from that link and other links that I looked up I, after the class. I kind of got that they felt they they yeah I don't know I thought they felt they had more power. I mean they were taking the heart out, right? I mean no no they left the heart in of all the organs when they mummified they left the heart that was the only internal organ that they left in the in in, in right. the bodies. That's they believe that if it wasn't good. Oh, you're saying would they if they felt somebody was bad would they would they not bury them with the heart? I'm not sure. I have to look it up again. But anyway, the point yeah. here is. That in full transparency, this word hardened is once again vayichbar, which means heavy. And now you might ask the question on my whole thesis from yesterday, my whole running theory is, one second, Pharaoh didn't promise that he's going to let them out. He doesn't promise here. But you know what happens here in this verse? Pharaoh sent. You see that? Pharaoh did some investigation. And he investigated to see what's going on in Goshen. Goshen was the Jewish quarter. What's going on by the Jews? What's going on the Hebrews, Israelites? What's going on over there? Are, they are their animals dying or is it just us? And when he finds out that not even one of the livestock of Israel died, right? he had already sent a message or messenger over to that space, which means that he, he was naita in Hebrew. That means he was like, he was like leaning toward maybe acquiescing and maybe saying, well, if you guys are not hit, then maybe it's legit and maybe I should let them go. Maybe I shouldn't keep on pressing. And then he says no. So on some level, there is a little bit of, uh, of an act of, I'm going to use the word fidelity, of infidelity over here in the sense that he's not being faithful to his own kind of curiosity. His own curiosity is, is it widespread or is it just us? Why does he need to know? Why does he need to know that? It's because if it's, if it's just for us, then that may mean something. And he finds out that information and he still doesn't do anything. And that's an act of not being faithful to even his own stated mission of seeking out that information. To me, this makes sense. I hope I've articulated it somewhat coherently. If not, it's okay. It's just a question on what I said yesterday and my, and my attempted answer. If none of this makes sense, it's also fine. All right, let's move on. All right, verse number eight. This is plague number six. The plague of boils. Let's do this. The Lord said, now this is plague six, which means it's the third of the second set. One, two, three. One, two, three. We're at the third plague of set two, and third plagues of a set come without any warning. They just happen, what's the word I'm looking for? Unilaterally. They're just unilateral. It's just a plague is going to happen. No FYIs, no warnings, no dialogue. Spontaneously. God, spontaneously. God says to Moses and or Aaron, make the plague, and the plague happens. And that's exactly what happens here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take yourselves handfuls of furnace soot, and Moses, ah, Moses is now doing, doing the work. Moses shall cast it heavenward before Pharaoh's eyes. So take this soot, throw it in the air, and uh, here's what's going to happen. And it will become dust upon the entire land of Egypt. So that's a miracle already. If you take a handful of soot, or a few handfuls of soot, and you throw it into the air, and it will cast dust upon the entire land of Egypt... Yeah, that's not normal, right? You take a little bit of soot, throw it up, and it covers a country. It's a little bit supernatural. So that's number one. That's one miracle. And it will then become, I'm adding the word then, it will become boil. So not only will the amount of soot magnify and expand to become dust upon the entire land, it will then become boils, breaking out into blisters upon man and upon beast throughout the entire land of Egypt. That's what God tells them to do. So what did they do? They did exactly that. So they took furnace soot, and they stood before Pharaoh. You can imagine how interesting that, <laughs> that, that gathering was. It's like uh, they knock on Pharaoh's door. Hey, what's going on? Uh, Moses and Aaron are here to see you. Sure, send them in. Moses and Aaron come by. Hey, we have a, a message for you. Or we just, just, just come here to do this. They throw it up in the air. The next thing you know, the plague breaks out. All right, they, they, so they stood before Pharaoh, and Moses cast it heavenward, the soot, and it became boils, breaking out into blisters upon man and upon beast. Once again, the animals are part of this plague. Well, what about the sorcerers, the necromancers? Yeah, Joy, jump in. Is there any um, commentary on number three and six, lights and boils that attack? It seems like they were great gaining strength after yeah. the plagues. So when it starts attacking your skin, right. a person's skin, 
I like it. In the I like it. I like it. I mean, when I say like it, you know, I, I like the, the concept, yeah. yeah, the idea. Not the lice of the boils. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I would, I would bet, I'm not, it doesn't ring a bell about me seeing that in a commentary, but I would, I would put down, I, I, would, I would bet, you know, if I had to bet either way, I would bet that someone makes that point somewhere. That's a good point. I think, I, and that's what I'm saying is I think that's an accurate point. That we see here already in this pattern that three and six are attacking the skin, are attacking the body, if you will. So you have the individual, right, right, right. Good. Definitely picking up steam and intensity over here. Um, I don't. I didn't mean that to say a boiling pun, but it's definitely picking up steam. I totally did that on purpose, by the way. All right. Anyway, can't take me anywhere. Let's continue. And the necromancers, that's the sorcerers of Egypt, could not stand before Moses. They couldn't even show up to like try to pull this off. Why? Because of the boils. For the boils were upon the necromancers and upon all Egypt. They were also afflicted by boils, which made them so uncomfortable and pain that he couldn't even like show up to work. But, but... The Lord, oh, here we go. This is plague six. You guys, know the, you guys know the count here, right? Five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And from plague six on, God steps in. This is the first time we see this. But the Lord strengthened Pharaoh's heart. And he, Pharaoh, did not hearken to them as the Lord spoke to Moses. Everything that happens, that has happened, has been predicted by God about Pharaoh being obstinate and refusing. Let's do some Rashi's before we move on. Plague seven. We did. We did. I mean, we're we're already through a bunch of plagues over here. This is like fairly uh, quick pace. Um, let's talk about the soot. Handfuls. Rashi says, "Jaloyness." I'm saying that like Yiddish. Whatever in Old French, which means double handfuls, not just handfuls, but double handfuls. What is furnace soot? Rashi says it's a, uh, it's a substance blown from dying embers that were burned in a, in a furnace. Okay, let's continue. Moses shall cast it, and anything cast with strength can be cast only with one hand. Ah, listen to this. Listen to what Rashi says. Hence, there are many miracles here. One, that Moses' single, hand, single handful held his own double handfuls and those of Aaron. And another miracle was that the dust went over the entire land of Egypt. Okay, need to explain. Double handfuls mean that you take your both hands and you pick up a handful. Okay? Two, two handfuls. Double handful means two handfuls. Now imagine this. Right? Imagine your hands are, both hands are full. Now take one hand, the left hand stuff, and put it into the right hand. You say it's not possible. Right? It's not possible. That's one miracle. You get ready for the next miracle? You like this miracle, Reese? Next one is Aaron is also there. And Aaron also takes up two handfuls of soot. And he puts both of his handfuls into Moses' one hand. Which means that in Moses' one hand, he had one, two, three, four handfuls in one hand. His two and Aaron's two in one hand. And he threw it. And then the next miracle, as I mentioned before when reading, is that that spread out over the entire land, which is a pretty big country. All right, let's continue. It will become boils. The Targum renders, Rashi says, uh, whatever the Aramaic is, I'm not going to read it right now, through which blisters break out. Boils that turn into blisters that then break out and, you know, etc. Expression, shin, boils, expression of heat. So they're hot boils. Like infected and all that stuff. All that stuff. Okay, let's, I don't want to elaborate on it. Okay, it is lunchtime after all. Upon man, upon beast. Now, if you ask, aha, Look at Rashi. Rashi's great. We love Rashi. Rashi says, you might ask the question, uh, if you're going to ask, from where did they have beasts? Well, what does it mean that the boils affected man and beast? It affected the animals. What animals? All the livestock just died. We just had plague numbers, uh, number five. Was the livestock dying? So knew the animals are dead. So what kind of boils on animals? Doesn't it say already and all the livestock of the Egyptians died? So what's the answer? I will answer, says Rashi, that the decree was leveled only upon those in the field. The livestock decree, the, the, 
the pestilence, plague five, the previous plague, only, only got rid of, only eliminated the livestock of the Egyptians that were in the field, as it is said, and we read this today, that the plague five was going to hit upon your livestock that is in the field. It means the outdoor livestock. But he who feared the word of the Lord, listen to this, the God-fearing Egyptians brought all his livestock into the houses. That means like into the barns or into the, you know, like into covered area. And so it is taught in the Mechilta regarding, all right, let, let me just say this in modern terms. Those that quarantined their animals, yeah, let's speak in modern terms, COVID terms. Those who quarantined their animals, the animals did not die. Those whose animals were just out and roaming, those animals died. And so it is taught in the Mechilta regarding he took 600 chosen chariots. You have the same question. Later on when the Egyptians chased the Jews and pinned them against the sea, this is after the Exodus, right? After the Exodus, before the splitting of the sea, the Egyptians came with their chariots. Who's pulling the chariots? Chariots? They didn't have cars. They didn't have motors. Who's pulling the chariots? The animals? What? Horses? What horses? They all died. They didn't all die. That's the point. They didn't all die. Plague 5 is the plague of pestilence that only hit the animals that were outdoors. Any animals indoors were spared. That's why they got hit verse, uh, not verse, plague 6 with boils. And that's why they had animals to chase the Jews against the sea. All right, hope that's all, all that hopefully should be clear. Let's get back inside. Let's see if we got more Rashi on this. No. All right, so we're going to toggle Rashi off for a moment. I'm getting all these sorts of banner stuff. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Next plague. This is plague seven. And by now you know, I sound like a broken record. Three, three, three. Plague seven is plague one of the third set. Plague ones always come with a visit to Pharaoh in the morning by the Nile River. You know that. This is exactly what happens. The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand erect before Pharaoh by the Nile River, I'm adding. That, but that's the context of their meetings. That's their boardroom, their conference table. And say to him, say to Pharaoh, So said the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Because this time, oh, ho, ho, this time, I am sending all my plagues into your heart and into your servants and into your people in order that you know that there is none like me in the entire earth. If you haven't gotten the message yet, this plague number seven, this should do it. Now, it's not going to do it. It takes 10 plagues. God knew that. But the message is God's really going to open up. If you think it's bad up until now or you think this is... You think God has flexed his muscles until now. You're really going to know about God with this play, plague number seven. Why? For if now I had stretched forth my hand and I had smitten you and your people with pestilence, right? If I really wanted to destroy you and take you out, then you would have been annihilated from the earth. This is all what God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh. This is a very strong statement right here. If I had stretched forth my hand and I had smitten you and your people with pestilence, if I had really done a number on you, not only the animals out in the field, but all the animals, and not only the animals, but also the people, if I had done that, we wouldn't even have you, you wouldn't even be part of this conversation. You wouldn't be around. But for this reason, I've allowed you to stand. Whew. Look at this. God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, there's only one reason why God has kept you alive up until now. It's in order to show you my strength and in order to declare my name all over the earth. In other words, what the, me the message here is, the lesson is not over. The reason why you're still here is not because I couldn't destroy you. It's because I want you, the, the lesson is still ongoing, right? Class, let's put it this way, class is still in session. Class is still in session and the teacher has more to teach. This is, this is a big warning. These are very strong terms to tell Pharaoh. You can imagine Moses is now a little bit more confident about his messaging, you know, having seen six plagues already. Um, but yeah, this is, this, is not, this is not day one communication. This is already six plagues in. Actually, let's go back. Let's make sure we didn't skip any Rashi's over here that we, that we want to cover. Um, let's look quickly... 
Yeah, Rashi says what I just said. If I, if I had so desired, says God, when my hand was upon your livestock, when I smote them with pestilence, plague five, I could have stretched it forth with, and smitten you and your people along with the beasts. I, I, I could have done it to you. And you would have been annihilated from the earth. The only reason why I didn't is so that class can continue and you can learn some more lessons. All right. We still don't know what the next plague is, but we have a nice intro. Let's continue. If you still tread upon my people, if you still treat them like you're treating them, if you still look at them like you're looking, if you still tread on my people, not letting them out, says God to Moses to tell Pharaoh, behold, behold, my friend, I am going to rain down at this time tomorrow a very heavy hail the likes of which has never been in Egypt from the day of its being founded until now. There's going to be a hail, a type of hail that is, un, that, is, that is unprecedented in the annals of Egyptian history and will never again be replicated. What kind of hail? We're going to find out soon what kind of hail it is. This is not just, you know, a storm. This is devastating. And now, says God to Moses to tell Pharaoh, send Gather in your livestock and all that you have in the field, right? Again, if it's out in the field, it's going to get hit. If you fear God and you listen and you bring your animals in, then you have a chance. But bring in anything outside, any man or beast that is found in the field and not brought into the house, the hail shall fall on them and they will die. This is the warning. Anything outside will die in this hailstorm, in this plague of hail. If you want to survive, you got to go indoors. So, that was the message. That was the message. And they delivered it. And what did Pharaoh say? Ostensibly, nope, not going to happen. Not going to let you out. But the word spread. So he who feared, amongst the Egyptians, he who feared the word of the Lord, of Pharaoh's servants, maybe only Pharaoh's servants knew about it, drove his servants and his livestock into the houses. So those who were God-fearing, let's just use that phrase, God, those who were thinking, uh, this is probably going to happen, they brought their animals and their servants, the humans and the, and the animals, into the house under a roof. But he who did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, those that were like, nah, this is all fake news, they left his servants, he left his servants and his livestock in the field, and that was, that was that. Well, let's, let's read about how the plague is carried out. The Lord said to Moses, stretch forth your hand heavenward and hail will be upon the entire land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon all the vegetation of the field in the land of Egypt. Again, it's limited to the field, but anything outdoors, human, animal, or vegetation, Everything is going to be hit. So Moses stretched forth his, his staff heavenward, and the Lord gave forth thunder and hail and fire. Now I'm going to explain what, what this hail looked like. Thunder and hail and fire came down to the earth, and the Lord rained down hail upon the land of Egypt. You know what? I don't have to explain it because the next verse says. So, so far we know that there was thunder, there was hail, and there was fire. What did it look like? Next, verse 24. And there was hail and fire flaming within the hail. So imagine massive chunks of ice. And inside the ice is a burning fire. And you're thinking, how can I imagine that? That's impossible. What kind of bizarre situation is that? Just imagine, you know, you ever like cool like lighting fixtures? Imagine like a round lighting fixture, like glass, maybe frosted glass with like one of those light bulbs that does the flickering inside, right? And just imagine that that's like legit ice and legit fire, and that's coming down, you know, 100 miles an hour, or whatever it is, whatever the rate of velocity is, that's coming down now and just absolutely pummeling Egypt from, from end to end, top to bottom, east, uh, east west, south, north. And this is like just pummeling, pummeling the land. There was hail, fire flaming within the hail, very heavy, the likes of which had never been throughout the entire land of Egypt since it became a nation. And, and it did damage. The hail struck throughout the, the entire land of Egypt. 
all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck all the vegetation of the field, and it broke all the trees of the field as well. And you can imagine that also fire broke out. Rashi points that out, I believe. We'll do Rashi soon. Absolutely devastating, this plague. Only in the land of Goshen, ah, where the children of Israel were, that was the Jewish quarter, there was no hail. No hail in Goshen, hail free state. All hail the Goshen, or no hail the Goshen. Next. All right, actually, before we do that, Let's go back and see uh, if we got some Rashi's here. The first one is grammatical. Oh, hey, Reeves, you want to say hi? Of course you do. But everyone wants to see your beautiful face. So let's situate you. You want to sit on my lap? Remember you used to help me teach back in the day? Oh, just for a second. Say hi. Nope. Okay. By the way, do you guys know that in four or five days, Reeves turning six? Big, it's huge. Real deal, Reeves. Really Odilia. All right, so back inside. So, yes. About the, I was thinking about the boils. Is It made me think of cirrhosis. Yeah. Cirrhosis, yeah. I think it was uh, more severe. Cirrhosis is, is always, at least in the Torah, it's always um, positioned as a... I mean, it's like something has to be taken care of, but I don't know that it's like painful and breaking out and like pus and infections and whatnot. This was, I mean, sorry, I, it, I apologize. It's also but, individual. I mean, it's yeah, individual. right. But even on an individual level, like for the individual having it, I, I, I just, I feel like this is, this is much worse. That's a skin ailment, but this, you know, this is, I'm not trying to minimize that. Then I'm just saying this is, I want to maximize this, not necessarily minimize that. This was, this was, this was pretty bad. All right, this first big Rashi is all about, is a grammatical Rashi. Next one, um, this is interesting. So God says to Moses to tell Pharaoh, at this time tomorrow it's going to happen. Like basically predict the time that it's going to happen. So Rashi says he made a scratch on the wall to demonstrate that tomorrow when the sun reaches here, the hail will come down. So it's like you make a mark on the wall, and then when the sun comes in at that angle, tomorrow... Just to, so, just to show that this is, you know, this is being guided by God and this is, this is happening. Um, okay, here we go. Here we go. Look at this one. God says to Moses to actually facilitate the plague, stretch forth your hand heavenward. So literally the Hebrew, it says al hashamayim. Al hashamayim means upon the heavens or over the heavens. Not heavenward, not toward the heavens, but above the heavens. So... The Medrash Agada says, the Holy One, blessed be He, raised Moses above the heavens. God lifted Moses up above the heavens to then raise His hand above, like on top of the heavens, to send down the hail. It sounds like Moses got teleported or something, that Moses was like above the heavens. Maybe there's a more metaphorical way of understanding it, that he had the power over, but it seems like from the Medrash that he literally raised Moses above the heavens, and that's how it went down. Um, let's go. Rashi says the fire inside the hail was a miracle inside a miracle. The fire and hail intermingled. Although hail is water, to perform the will of their maker, they made peace between themselves that the hail did not extinguish fire, nor did the fire melt the hail. So typically, when you combine fire and water, one of two things happen. Either the water puts out the fire, or the fire burns and evaporates the water heats up and evaporates the water. So one of the, two, one of the two typically happen. Right, like you have a massive bonfire. Imagine like a massive campfire, like a big one. And then you pour a little bit of water on it. It's not gonna put it out. The water is gonna boil the, sorry, the fire is gonna boil the water and create steam. So that's where the fire eradicates the water. You could have water that eradicates the fire. But in this instance, because God wants it to be so, they were able to get along. They were able to be co-workers in this plague. All right. Well, not, Ari. Yes. Not, not necessarily. Okay. If you take sodium. Okay. And you, and you can, and you throw it under water. It doesn't catch fire. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I'll tell you this. Apparently, God. 
figured out the chemistry of it to make it happen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, however it happened, exactly, it, the, 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 the miracle is, not only is it a miracle that the whole thing happened, but even the details of the plague were a miracle, right? Like the fire in the water, that itself is a miracle. So let's see the reaction of Pharaoh. Everything outdoors is getting pummeled, so Pharaoh sent and summoned Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord, this time I have sinned. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. Now, with this preamble, if he reneges on this, you know what that means? He's, uh, he's got a heavy heart. You're with me on this one? Because look at his, uh, his you know, indulgence in, in, in self-condemnation. Uh, I'm guilty. I've sinned. God is righteous. Our, me and my people, we're the bad ones. He says to Moses and Aaron, entreat the Lord. Pray to God and let it be enough of God's thunder and hail, enough already, and I will let you go and you shall not continue to stand, no, no longer you know, needing to stand here in front of me or being slaves in Egypt. Yeah, I'm going to let you go and that's it. And Moses said to him, when I leave the city, I will spread my hands to the Lord. And others, okay, I'll pray. Let me, I'm going to leave the city and I'll pray to God and then the thunder will cease. And there will be no more hail. All of this in order that you know that the land is the Lord's. Even, listen to this. Not only is the plague a lesson in divine authority, but even the cessation of said plague is a lesson of divine autonomy and authority. The fact that the plague is going to end when I pray to God on God's terms, that's also an indication that God is the boss here. All of this is pointing to the, same, to the same lesson, right? God 101, monotheism 101. But you and your servants, I know that you still do not fear the Lord God. Moses now, this might be the first dig, personal dig, that Moses lays into Pharaoh. He says, I know that you still do not fear the Lord God. I know that you're posturing. We're so wrong. You're so right. God is just and I'm, I'm, I'm unjust and I, you know, I still know that you don't mean it. I still know you don't fear the Lord God. Though the flax and the barley have been broken, for the barley is in the ear and the flax is in the stock, the wheat and the spelt, however, have not been broken because they ripen late. Anything hard was broken anything in the fields. Vegetation that was hard got smashed and shattered. Anything that was soft and flexible was able to withstand the hail. So what Moses is saying is, I know you don't really mean it because you still haven't hit rock bottom. You still haven't hit rock bottom because you still are like, well, we still have wheat and spelt. I mean, you don't like it. You want it to end, but it still hasn't hit rock bottom because although the flax and barley are broken, the weed and the spelt are not. And by the way, what determines whether something breaks? It's the more upright you stand. It's the more, it's the more, it's the stronger you stand, the likely you are to get broken. Whereas the more flexible you are, the less likely you are to get broken. And that is an obvious lesson in life. When we walk around with arrogance, ego, hubris, it, it, it just leads to our own personal downfalls and breakings, whereas when we walk this earth with a, with a, a posture of humility and, and humbleness, when we're more flexible than rigid, we're able to withstand the winds and the hails that might otherwise, God forbid, fall upon us. I mentioned this, I'm sure, in this context last year. I mentioned this before. I know I holidays in a different context, but same lesson. The reason why palm trees survive hurricanes is because, which they do, many do, not all, but many palm trees survive hurricanes in Florida. The reason is because a palm tree has the flexibility to go all the way down to the ground and then slowly get back up. Slowly, slowly get back up. And that's what it does. Palm trees can bend all the way down. A tree that's a rigid tree and a hurricane comes, goodbye. Goodbye, Charlie, as my grandfather used to say. Goodbye, Charlie. That's, that's gone. That's the finito. If you're rigid... If you're inflexible and then just complications hit, 
devastating. If you're flexible, if you're humble, you, you, you can survive. That's the way it works in life. That's the way it works in life it's on many different levels. In business, in relationships, personal, you know, personal stuff, on every level, being more flexible is better than being rigid. Let's continue with... Right. Yes. I have an interesting Rashi here. Yeah. <clears throat> Just a little bit before that, that uh, Pharaoh asked Moses to please stop the hail, stop the hail. Yeah. And Moses tells him, when I leave the city, uh, I shall spread out my hands to Hashem. And the Rashi on that says, he did not pray inside the city because it was full of idols. Right. And what that means, according to... Um, Mechilta? Yeah, the Medrash. Yeah. Okay, the Medrash. He says, why did Rashi wait to this point to inform us that Moses would not pray in the city? Did Moses leave before praying for the removal of the frogs? Right. The wild beasts? All the plagues, the right. The god of the Egyptians was the sheep. During those earlier plagues, the sheep were in the meadows. However, many of the Egyptians heeded Moses' advice and brought their livestock into their homes to protect them from the hail. If so... The city was full of interesting. interesting. Very interesting. And Mark, thank you for sharing that. That's a brilliant insight. Basically, just to explain what Mark just said, is that when, imagine, imagine a city, a residential area, and then the outlying areas being the farms. So if the sheep, which is one of the deities of the Egyptians, is out in the field, then the city is, uh, is free, of, free of these idols. But when they brought the sheep, the livestock, into the cities, into the homes, so now Moses says, i got to leave the city and pray because it's filled with your idols, right? It's idols, it's like have, have, have idols, will uh, not will travel. But you have idols, I will travel because i got to get out of here to pray. Good, excellent. That's a, that's a, that's a brilliant insight. Um, and it explains why the Torah is first telling us now with plague seven that Moses is leaving the city to pray. How come we didn't do that before? We have no mention of Moses saying, uh, I got to go and I'll be back. Like, what's going on? There was one plague before where there was a conversation about Moses leaving and then praying. But whatever. It, it, but th this is, this is a, a, I love this idea. Um, let's continue and let's see how this ends. So Moses went away from Pharaoh. Oh, so what's, let's not lose the, the, the big picture here. The big picture is that Pharaoh pleads to Moses to end it. And he's saying, I'm wrong. You're right. God's right. We're bad. You're good. All right. Moses is like, sure. But blah, 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 blah. I, don't, I know you don't really mean it. So he drops that on Pharaoh. Like, I see through your, your transparent. Let's continue. So Moses went away from Pharaoh. He went out of the city, as we just talked about. And he spread out his hands to the Lord, which is how he got the plague in the first place. He spread his hands, he spread his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased. And rain did not come down to earth. I'm going to explain what that means on a deeper level in a second. And Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased. And you guessed it. So he continued to sin. And he strengthened his heart. Right? By now you know what it says in the Hebrew. He made his heart heavy. Heavy heart. He's a bad man. He made his heart heavy. And he and his servants. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. This now says uh, stubborn. So before... Strengthened is heavy. Hardened means hardened. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened, meaning he steeled himself. Now it does mean stubborn. He steeled himself, S-T-E-E-L-E-D, and he did not let the children of Israel go out as the Lord had spoken through the hand of Moses. None of this was a surprise. All of this is on script so far. God is making this point. Pharaoh is struggling to keep up. He's in over his head. He's promising things that he's not going to deliver. And that's the way it is. I want to share with you a few Rashis, and then I want to share with you a brilliant idea, I think is brilliant, um, based on the teachings of Chassidus and Kabbalah. All right, let's, um, uh, let's look at this. Okay, uh, Moses tells Pharaoh... I know, end of this Rashi, I know that you still do not fear God, and as soon as relief comes, you will continue in your corruption. Moses is pre-calling him out. It's not like, you lied, you went back on your word. Moses is saying, I know you're going to go back on your word. This is not like I told you so. This is, I'm telling you so. All right, uh, let's continue. Um, the barley is in the ear. It is already ripened and is standing in its stalks. 
and they have been broken and have fallen. Likewise, the flax has already grown and become hardened enough to stand in its stock. So anything that was strong was broken. However, the wheat and the spelt are still tender, and they were able to withstand the hard hail. Although it says that the hail struck all the vegetation in the field, which makes it sound like it destroyed everything, the simple meaning of the verse may be explained as referring to the herbs that were standing in their stalks, which could be smitten by the hail. So again, just to clarify, Rashi's saying that, and it's just based on the verse, it's not Rashi coming up with something new. Moses is telling Pharaoh, I know that you feel not so, you know, you still, there's still things that didn't get destroyed. So Rashi's saying, how could some things not get destroyed if we just said in you know, six verses earlier that everything was destroyed? So Rashi's saying, when it said everything, it meant everything that was standing, strong and firm. But that which is still soft and tender didn't get destroyed. So Moses prays, Moses prays, and it did not come down. Rashi says, did not reach the ground. Listen to this, and this is incredible. Even those hailstones that were in the air did not reach the ground. So what, you know, hail is falling, and Moses prays. So what happens? What happens? There's two options. Either no new hail rains down from heaven, or hails down from heaven, but anything that's still in the air comes down. But that would be a violation of God listening to the prayer. If God is listening to the prayer and saying, okay, no more hail, then that means not even one more hailstone with fire should, should reach the ground. But what happens? All the hail that's still in the air. According to this, everything froze in the air. Imagine walking down the street in Egypt and bumping into a hailstone that's suspended in midair. You with me on this? a suspension of hail, or more precisely, at that point, the fire burns the water and it just, it doesn't fall as hail, it falls as maybe rain or something else. Something as, as innocuous, as innocent as, as rain. But the point is that these hailstones, the moment God listens to the prayer, those hailstones have no permission to hit the ground anymore. So what happens? They're in the middle of the air. You're dealing with a logistical question. What about the hailstones that are in the atmosphere? All right. They don't come down as hail. The Rebbe says, this is what I wanted to share with you. There's different types of tshuva. Tshuva means repentance or return. Different types of tshuva. So a person did something wrong. They did something that they know that, that they shouldn't have done. Three options. Option number one is you don't care. So you still do it, and that's it. Option number two is you care. And you, 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 you resolve to not continue doing it. Right? So I've done this, that, and the other in the past, up until now. But from now on, I'm turning a new leaf. Right? We're, we're turning over a new leaf. It's a new chapter. And from here on out, that's the past. This is the new way that I'm going to be, and it's different. New Year's resolution. Right? In 2022, it's going to look like this. My life is going to look like this. Great. That's wonderful. But there's a deeper level. There's a deeper dimension. And that is not only from here on out it's going to be different, but it's a type of tshuva, type of of, of personal change that even reclaims, it reclaims the past in a positive way. It redefines the past. Even as simple as saying, the only way I got where I got to, the, old, the reason why I'm on a new path today is because of the old path and because of the error of the old path, which means, paradoxically, that it's the old path of error that put me on this Enthused path of correction. Enthused like vibrant path of correction. So the correction is inspired and driven by the mistake. And so on some level, I'm redefining the past. That's not something that pulled me away from where I need to be. That actually drove me to where I need to be. So let's talk about hailstones. Hailstones representing a negative path. Past. So what, or a negative, a state of negativity. So a plague. 
So one way of deal of, of hail is it keeps on falling, nothing changes, keeps on falling, keeps on. That's that's option one. Option two is from here on out, it's no longer gonna fall. It's no longer gonna fall. I've changed from here on out. The hailstones are the hailstones of the past are the past, but from here on out, it's gonna be different. What happens to the past? It remains frozen, like those hailstones, suspended in the sky. Imagine, imagine the scene. Imagine like a movie scene. The main character comes out and looks around. Hail, stones with fire suspended in midair. What, a, what an eerie and wild and, and, you know, sight. That's what it looks like when we just move on from the past, but don't go back on some level to reclaim it. You still have the hailstones. You still have the skeletons in the closet almost. They're still there, but you've kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're just not letting them hit the ground anymore. The deepest level is where you remove the hailstones from suspension. Even the old hailstones and even the damage they wrought, even that can be reclaimed for the good. That is the highest level in the language of Chassidus and Kabbalah, in the language of Tanya. It's tshuva me'ava. It's tshuva that's driven by love. It's return that's driven by love and passion and greater vigor than what could have occurred without this mistake in the first place. And this is the highest level. Reclaiming the past. Is there anything tangible or is it more an emotional reckoning? It could be very tangible. It could be very, it could be um, reconciliation, making amends. It could be fixing things on the ground. Absolutely. That's the ideal. I'm giving almost the easiest way out. I'm giving an easier option, which is that I'm motivated by my past mistakes to be ever more attentive to what I need to be attentive to. That's one way of leveraging the past for, for the positive. But the more direct way is what you're suggesting, which means you want to transform the past? All right, so go back there. Go back there and, and tweak it, right? I mean, you can't change what you did, but you can fix it. That would be the most direct way of doing it. Yeah. So if it's just something involving one's oneself, and there's re- so then right. it's, then it's maybe it's a little bit more difficult, right? Right. right. A relationship with someone else, you can have another conversation. Uh, something that I did, I mean, I can have another conversation, but what do I do about that? So that's where my suggestion comes in. There's different ways. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not only one, one path over here. But the point is, I always love, whenever I think of hail, honestly, when I think of the plague of hail, I think of this last idea and what the Rebbe says about it, about the, the hailstone suspended. I just, I, I love that imagery. And the imagery of walking around and then bumping into a hailstone is kind of like bumping into the mistakes of our past. Maybe I didn't, I didn't like finish that thing. It's like, you know, we've moved on, but on now and again, you know, we, we collide with, uh, with a relic, with a skeleton from the past. And the question is, how do we even fix those so that they're no longer suspended, even in midair? Let, they're not hitting for sure, right? But even in midair, they shouldn't be suspended. That's the deepest level. All right. So anyway. if it's something personal, it's an understanding it's an understanding. It's an understanding, and it's being able to recognize and have the, the, the elevated consciousness to realize that, yes, that was wrong, and yes, that, that is painful now that I think about it, but I would not be who I am today if not for that mistake, if not for that painful experience, and thus it's a little bit less painful because I've, I've dealt with it now in a healthy situation. I've dealt with it in a healthy way. I've been able to, for myself, I've transformed not the action but the meaning of the action. So the action remains what it was. I did this. But what does it mean? So until now it meant an act of separation. Now it's an act that means greater connection. I'm just using separation connection to be like bad or good. Anyway, all right, so that's it for today. We don't have time for Haftorah. My apologies. Yes, Joy, jump in. This is going back... um one page on yeah. number 14. Right. The Rashi commentary. I don't understand that. Give me a second. Rashi to 14. Give me a second. Aha. <clears throat> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. I understand your question. It's a very good question. But to understand the Rashi, we have to reread, we have to reinterpret the verse. Not, not the way I said it when I, when I was reading it before. So this is helpful now because we see that Rashi has a different way of understanding. With plague number seven, this is the warning for plague seven, the warning for the hail. God says to Moses, this is what you're going to do. Go and meet Pharaoh in the morning by the river. Tell him, let my people go, because this time I'm sending all my plagues. According to Rashi, that's not a reference to plague seven. It's a reference to plague 10. In other words, it's kind of the foreshadowing for, you know, this round that we're in now. Like we're, we, we're in for six plagues already. But now is like a new stage. Now we got a new stage here. The truth is, the truth is, that, um, I mean, it's the third round of three that's beginning now. Or whatever it is. We're now into new territory. We're now in escalated territory. And it's going to culminate with all my plagues. What's all my plagues? It's going to culminate with, Rashi says here, the plague of the firstborn. And from this we learn that the plague of the firstborn is equivalent to all plagues. So when, I'm set, when, when God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, I'm sending all my plagues, it's a euphemism for death of the firstborn, which is called all my plagues. They were considering that for a soap opera, but they went with all my children instead. <laughs> I don't even know. That, that, I, I see there's like That's a... Bad. No, it's bad on multiple levels, but I see now how that can be misunderstood. I'm not, I'm not correlating. I'm just, no, God forbid. I'm just, I was, it's just all my, anytime I hear all my, I think of all my children. But back to here. So the, the, your, your question is, if this is plague seven, then what's Rashi talking about the plague of the firstborn? But if you understand that, that God is telling Moses, tell Pharaoh... By the way, it's going to get really bad, death of the firstborn, and that's going to be all my plagues. That's not only the tenth plague, but it's equivalent to all the plagues put together. Yeah. All right. All right. Yes. I actually have an interesting note on that. Yeah. This, this is uh, this is the next plague. It's not the plague of the firstborn, but rather the plague of hail. This that's is a note on that's the question Joy asked, right? It says, according to to uh, Rav Heschel of Krakow. There is an error in our text of Rashi. The text originally had the abbreviation. It's a mem, a double the, the anyway, uh, my cost, uh, the, the rod is so small. The plague of hail, which was erroneously interpreted by a later copyist or typesetter as makasa pechoros, so small. According to others, the proper reading is makas pechorora, the plague of hunger, and alludes to the scarcity of the food that resulted when the hail destroy the crops. So according to this, there's an error in the copying of Rashi. What you're saying is, we'll answer Joy's question. Why are we talking about the plague of the firstborn? This is supposed to be, this Rashi's comment was supposed to be on some later verse, and it just got transposed over here. All right. I mean, that, that's a... Uh, that's, that's more of a leap. I mean, I don't know a leap. I'm just saying that's more of a a cut and paste than what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting simply that God is telling Moses, we're now into tier three, and this is going to end with firstborn, and that's going to be all my plagues. That's not, all my plagues is either all 10, or the 10th is like all. But again, the question is, why is it here? I guess because like Moses, you should tell Pharaoh, this is the territory that we're into now. Like, we're, we're not just dealing with plague seven. We're now into the next stage, which is, Heading to the to the finale. That's the way I understand. To me, that makes sense, but it is a little bit. Uh, I see the the little seam of 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 logic, which then obviously evokes the question. And that I would say a bit of extreme. Heschel of uh, of Krakow. All, you know, I don't want to like step on any anyone's toes here. Um, I I would hate to like ruffle any you know feathers here, and and that's not my intention. But that is a bit of a more drastic take on it. But, Shivan Panam, 70 facets. That's how we roll. All right, good. I'm going to close out. I know it's, uh, it's a busy day. It's Shabbos is in a few hours. And uh, we have our Shabbos. Somebody told me today that it's the longest Shabbos. It's the longest Shabbos. It goes from one year to the next. The Shabbos goes from one year. It begins one year and it ends the next year. <laughs> right? It starts in 2021. It ends in 2022. All right, so it should be a good Shabbos for everybody, a Shabbos of peace and a Shabbos of love and a Shabbos of joy and a Shabbos of tranquility and a Shabbos of freedom. Freedom 
from all of the things that are plaguing us and a Shabbos of connection. And Ray, once again, um, our thoughts are with you and blessings in honor of your sister's birthday, Lillian's birthday. And you may not be able to pick up the phone tonight and call her. Um, look, it's Shabbos anyway. So, right? It's Shabbos anyway. So you have like, yeah, anyway, it would have been. Um, but you should know that in the world of truth, the connection is even easier. Not even long distance, right? It's not even, uh, you should be comforted. And uh, indeed, soon we should have Mashiach and we should be reunited with all of our loved ones. All right, have a good Shabbos, everyone. Amen. We'll see you all. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you, please, God, back, DPP Monday. Happy New Year. Take care, everybody. Bye. Good Shabbos.